difference between what kids want and what kids need. If kids were left to themselves, okay, just to feed themselves for a week, they would only eat four things. You know what they are. They would eat, what, chicken nuggets, french fries, mac and cheese, and then one more side of pizza. Yes, that's it. They would only drink one thing. It's a qualification to be an elder here, and that is Mountain Dew. Yep, Daryl Trinka, he brings it every time. Buys it by the two liters nine at a time. Talk to Daryl later. Um, eight at a time. Goes to the store. Eight two liters. <laughs> There's absolutely no fruits, no veggies, no vitamins at all if it was up to what kids wanted. Why? Why do kids want those things? Because they are convinced that these foods will satisfy. But parents understand that a steady diet of food and soda does not bring satisfaction to the soul or human flourishing. Parents know better than kids what kids need to flourish. Now, we get that when it comes from parents looking at kids, but unfortunately, parents, adults, we aren't much better than kids, are we? We might have a better balanced diet, might, might, okay? But food isn't the only thing we hunger for. There are other, ta- other appetites in our life that demand to be satisfied. Appetites for significance, security, success, sex. Like the hunger of food, we respond to the drive to satisfy them. But God knows so much better what we need. He hasn't come to give us what we want. He has come to give us what we need. And we must never lose the distinction between wants and needs. Hey, hear me. Wants and needs are not interchangeable. This brings us to our passage. If you're our guest, we have been taking a marvelous journey to life through the Gospel of John. We're in John 6. Last week, Pastor Pat fed us. God's Word. It was a great sermon. We learned that Christ fed 5,000 men, which could mean that it was a crowd of 10 to 20,000 people. Christ fed 5,000 men with only two fish and five loaves of bread. And the people respond, we got to get this guy on our side. And you would too. He is a walking gold mine. Okay? And so they attempt to make him king. I mean, who knows what other tricks he has up his sleeve? But Jesus doesn't meet their expectations to be their king. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand me. He is a king, all right? Just not the kind of king they wanted, but he is the kind of king they needed. He hasn't come on their terms to meet all their wants. He has come on God's terms, his Father's terms, to provide for them what they need. They just don't understand yet what he has to offer. And what ensues in our passage is really a sobering dialogue with this question. Will they exchange their wants for their need? Or will they choose secondary, temporary wants over their primary and eternal need? Faith family, here's the point of the sermon. Come to terms that wants aren't needs. Come to terms that your wants are not your needs. Do not reject Jesus this morning because he is not coming on your terms to provide your wants. Come to terms with the fact that he comes on his terms to provide what you need. And only Jesus can offer you 
the life you need. Only Jesus can satisfy your hunger for life. Only Jesus can satisfy your hunger for life. So in verses 24 through 25, the crowd, when they saw him, saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples. They themselves got into boats. They went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? They paddled all the way over to Jesus. They arrive wet-footed. They are sweaty from rowing. They have worked hard to find Jesus. And Jesus is supposed to be impressed by their three-hour commute to church. Just like you this morning. You actually might have a faster time getting home if you actually put in at 129 and kayaked up the river. You might have a faster time. But he's supposed to be impressed that they've been all this effort to get there. Wet-footed, sweaty. They get out of the boat. But Jesus is not impressed. Instead, he exposes their motive. Look at verse 26. If you're new to using a Bible... The large number six is the chapter, the small numbers are the verses. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Motives exposed. You are following me for a free meal. You're here because you want a guy who can give you what you want here and now. And Jesus rebukes them for the reason that they're actually looking and pursuing after him. So that they can come to terms, not with what they want, but what they actually need. Here's point number one. Come to terms with what you need. Life. There is so much more to life than food. Point number one. Come to terms with what you need. There is so much more to life than food. Now before we judge them, too quickly for wanting a free meal. You have to think back to what it would be like to live back then. All right? This is a rural society. Okay? I know we live in a rural community, but even more rural than this. Think about it this way. 85% of your income would go to food each day. So if somebody can come and provide you a free meal, how much of your income is freed up? 85%. Whoa, we, we want this guy to do this again. Because now you go from, we don't need to rent, honey. Let's get that place that we can buy. You know what? With that money, we could pay off the mortgage. Think about what we could do. An addition. You know what? I could get that piece of equipment that would make my business so much better. I could hire more employees. No wonder they are interested in Jesus. And Jesus knows they have physical needs. He met them yesterday. That's why he fed them. This is not a message that you don't have physical needs, ignore them. Christ met their physical needs. He cared about them. But Jesus says there is an inherent problem with their wants. Look at verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him... God the Father has set his seal. Whether it is a staple or a luxury, food perishes. Not just in our refrigerators, but in our bellies. Which is why we must do what? Eat again and again. And those of you that haven't had breakfast are beginning to think, and again, right? You're, you're, you're craving that. You're hungering for that. I'm so sorry. There won't be any more food illustrations, okay? But we know that food doesn't last. Let me give a practical illustration of this. Can I get a volunteer real quick? 
Hold on. Thank you, Matt. All right. Matt, the challenge is going to be this. How long, cup your hands, we'll do this over here. Yep. All right. How long can you keep this water in your hands when I pour it out, not in the bottle? How long do you think you're going to make it? You want me to time you? Um, I don't know. I'm, forgive me for this, but I am sort of cupping them in to increase the time. I no, believe, what, believe like 20 seconds. 20 seconds. All right. 20 seconds. Here we go. Okay. After I stop pouring, we'll hit the timer. You're doing pretty good. Oh, it doesn't? It's still there. Yeah, you're breaking the sermon illustration. <laughs> I told my friends over here, maybe the sermon will get done earlier because it's race weekend. <laughs> no, you, you got to hold it. <laughs> Let's give it up for Matthew. Now, in the grand scheme of things, even though it felt longer because it was a sermon, you're wanting to know what the next point was or what was the point besides laughter, uh, the, the reality is he couldn't hold that in his hands for that long, okay? I mean, even a minute, as we have here, was not very long. The tightest of hands can't keep the water in there forever. And the older you get, the more you realize that is how long your satisfaction lasts for your material, physical and psychological wants. If I just get that, and when we hold on to it, and just like that, that great date, that great vacation, that awesome meal, the paying off the house, we will never want anything again. Okay. <laughs> okay. And that explains that our wants are never satisfied. Why, instead of craving things less, we actually only crave them more? Because if we stand as a cup, right now, think of your life as this big cup. And if you stand before God as this big, in, empty cup, a selfish cup that demands, fill me with my wants, and then I'll be happy. We're never going to feel quite full. Why? Because your lust and my lust are boundless. By their very nature, our wants can never be satisfied. We'll start saying, hey, God, I'll worship you if you just give me this. And if he does it, what do we do the next time? We up the ante. None of us are content with that first time. Oh, thank you. I'll never ask for anything from you again. Baloney. <laughs> so praise God that Jesus Christ did not come on your terms to meet your wants. Praise God that Christ came to meet your needs. He didn't come to meet your wants or my wants. He didn't come to fill that cup that you look like you're at. He actually came to break that selfish cup. Come to terms with what you need. We need to be a cup that simply says, I need Jesus. Right? Because there's so much more to life than food. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Only Jesus can satisfy our hunger for life because he lasts forever. 
Well, if there's something that's going to last forever, if there's something that's going to be eternal, and if God says we should work for that thing that lasts forever, then the obvious question is verse 28. Verse 28 says, what must we be doing? What must we do to be doing the works of God? The crowds think, right, if you're going to talk to us about working for something that lasts forever, lay it on us right? I mean, just tell us what we have to do. If there's conditions, if there's a standard we have to meet, whatever it is, we will do it. Just tell us what to do and we're in. And here comes Jesus's second shot. Point number two, come to terms with why you need it. There is so much more to Christianity than being good. Come to terms with why you need it. There is so much more to Christianity than being good. A lot of people who go by the name Christian associate Christianity with this. Hey, God, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. That's how a lot of us work, okay? You know that if you want to pass that exam in school, you want to have a spouse, you want to have a fat baby, you want a corner office, you want a clean bill of health, that you got to go through some religious rituals. you got to offer God stuff. And if you give him stuff, Church attendance on a race weekend, that's a big one, right? That if you offer him that, then of course he'll scratch your back and give you what you want. But come to terms. He didn't come here to give you what you want, but what you need. If you think that Christianity is about being good, that is so foreign to the Bible. Because the Bible, as we heard earlier, the God's law that we read, kind of puts this as, a, as the standard. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We're not going to be able to meet that standard because he didn't come on our terms but his, and his terms are perfection. So my religious friend on a race weekend, Jesus did not come to vindicate you for being good. He came to rescue you. The biggest myth is that Christianity is about here for good people. No, Christianity is not for good people. Christianity is for people that know they need to be forgiven because they have not met God's standard. He didn't come to vindicate us. He came to rescue us. And so Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You can't do anything. You have to believe, believe in him and who he has sent. My non-Christian friend, You are to trust that Christ is sufficient. When we are calling you to believe, we are not calling you to try harder. We are calling you to trust that Christ is enough. And that's why food is a great metaphor for faith, right? Food is a great metaphor for faith. Sometimes my non-Christian friends say, oh, I wish I had faith like you. Oh, and what they really mean is faith is just for those that are gullible and it's a blind leap in the dark. I don't share your gullible delusion. But when Jesus says here about food being like faith, he puts a row of full dinner plates before everyone in the world, and he says, eat. In eating, taking that, no one has to take a leap there. Faith is accepting food from Jesus, receiving it, and you trust it the same way you trust your breakfast, by actually eating it. This also is a good application for Christians. After you eat this food, you don't just eat one time. You have to continue going back to it. You need to eat continually or you will die. Eat to live. Don't eat, die. 
But we also want to say this to those of you that are here on a race weekend that might want to get brownie points. Some of us like to play with our food, and our parents tell us what? Stop playing with your food. It's supposed to be eaten. Hey, church, faith family, stop playing with your Christianity. It's meant to be received, eaten, feasted on. Stop playing a game. Others of us know so much about food. We even go to restaurants and take pictures of what we've eaten. And we post it. Real faith is not about so much you know, and then posting to others all these great truths that you know about Jesus. You are supposed to do what with food? Not play with it, not take pictures of it, not know all about it. You are supposed to live on it, by it. We were never meant to live without Jesus. We were meant to live on Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus. Trust Jesus. Don't just show interest in him. Don't just play around with him. Trust him the same way you trusted your breakfast this morning. Well, immediately they say, if you want us to trust you, and you're making this all about you, I mean, <laughs> you gotta, you got to do something to kind of increase our confidence in you. What can you do that would make us want to believe in you? And so we see in verse 40, they, or verse 30, they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Oh, we'll give you a little hint. Here's what you could do. Look at verse 31. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, they're asking Jesus, Hey, will you establish yourself? Will you show yourself to be equal with Moses? Moses gave us manna. Can you do his signature sign? It's nice that they even have a verse to prove it. Don't you just love that when people like have a verse to prove it? As it is written, he gave manna from heaven. You better be able to do that. And the irony is actually unbearable, right? I mean, it's like asking them, are you serious? What in the world did you think I did with you yesterday? <laughs> the food is still digesting in your belly. You know, ah. so what does Jesus have to do, right? I mean, Jesus fed 10 to, 12, uh, 10 to 20,000 people, and they're left asking, you know, is feeding 10 to 20,000 people not enough for you? 12 baskets of leftover bread like the 12 tribes of Israel, is that not enough for you to show you that I'm like Moses? Hey, when you wondered where I went and I walked across the water as if it was dry ground, is that not enough for you to know? What more do you want? But the question we're really supposed to be asking is, what more do we want? My non-Christian friend, what would you require of God to actually listen to Jesus, much less believe in him? Well, Jesus has to correct them. Moses had become inflated like every hero from the past, and so Jesus compares what Moses supposedly gave with what God the Father actually gives. Notice the switch in verse 32 from past tense to present tense. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who, past tense, gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father, present tense, gives you the true bread from heaven. Hey guys, you thought way too highly of Moses. 
It wasn't Moses that gave you that. It was God the Father who provided for you in the wilderness. But catch this, even the manna, the bread that he gave you, didn't prevent you from dying. It didn't satisfy your hunger for life. You couldn't even collect it. You had to rely upon him daily to give it to you. It didn't satisfy. So Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Jesus does not say, I have the bread of life. Jesus does not say, let me tell you about the bread of life. No, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The bread is a person. And that's why he can say, whoever comes to me. Jesus does not say, go to God. He says, come to me. Because what he is saying here is that he is God. Did you notice that he begins, I am the bread of life? I am is the deliberate echo of the revealed name of God from the Exodus when God revealed himself to this great Moses, I am. And now Jesus picks up, I am the very source of eternal life. There is so much more to Jesus than his teaching, which is what is point number three. Come to terms with who you need. There is so much more to Jesus than his teaching. Point three, come to terms with who you need. There is so much more to Jesus than his teaching. Don't misunderstand me. Jesus is a great teacher. But it's just not sufficient enough of a description of who he actually is. He claims to be the only one to give everlasting bread. He is the food. The food is a person. I am the bread of life. You cannot live eternally without him. You can only live eternally with him and on him. Jesus is the life you need. So change your secondary wants for your primary need. Nothing but Jesus can satisfy your hunger for life. For he promises that whoever comes to him shall never hunger, right? Whoever believes shall never thirst. And Jesus extends that invitation to satisfy your eternal need. I want you to be astounded in, a, in these next couple of verses with God's generosity. Because when we hear that God doesn't come to give us what we want, we're tempted to think that God is stingy. He only came to give us what we need. No, God is more generous than you could ever expect. Look at this. Who can have life? Verse 35. Who can have life? 35. Whoever comes to me. Whoever believes in me, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever, all, it's boundless. Anyone is included. Well, who's excluded? Only those that don't come. So my non-Christian friend, no matter who you are, whatever you have done, and wherever you have strayed, come. Come to Jesus for the life that you need. Come to him on his terms, for his terms are so much better. You don't have to do. It has all been done. Well, unfortunately, the Jews do not come on his terms. Look at verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. They don't believe because they will not come on his terms. I mean, they will come to him for a meal that won't last, but for a message that brings life? Hmm. They're willing to accept Jesus if he does a temporary thing, but if Jesus does an eternal thing? Hmm. 
they're willing to accept if they can see Jesus do a work. But for Jesus just to give a word, they're willing to accept Jesus if he can give them pleasure. But for Jesus to become their treasure. Come to terms that wants aren't needs. They fail to see that their wants aren't their needs, and it causes them to miss the Savior because all they can see is the sign, and they just want food for their belly for the here and the now. Faith family, what terms are you tempted to set for Jesus to be the king of your life? Must he fill your stomach first? Must he solve all your suffering first? Must he make everything happy and easy and glad first? But before you will trust him? What if comfort and convenient isn't the goal of his rescue and rule? Will you still have him as your king? I think it depends on what you're hungry for. He didn't come to give us bread. He came to give us himself as the bread of life. Do you know this morning that you are hungry? Can you see signs that you are famished? Have you considered this morning that your physical appetites are just pointers beyond themselves to a much deeper spiritual hunger? Have you considered that all of your hungers are really just those echoes of that deeper hunger, that hunger for life? All of us eat to live. We eat to make us feel alive. We all pursue those other appetites because then we feel on top of the world. I'm king. I feel alive. So what are you hungry for? What really satisfies? Only Christ can satisfy the hunger for your life. Some of us, we are hungry for security, success, and we work and we work and we work. Others of us are hungry. We are afraid of being left out. So we scroll on Facebook to know all that is going on and on and on and on and on so we can just know. Others of us really want to be in shape and so we work and we work and we work and we work to stay in shape and our bodies are still aging, <laughs> deteriorating. This is the message that as Christians we can never get past but we often forget when you find yourself straying from the God who loves you, when you find yourself longing for a better life, whenever you think about, if I just had that, I would feel alive. You know, think of this morning. What do you run after? What is that guilty pleasure that just makes you feel alive? We go and we feed. We go and we eat. And sometimes what we go and feed on is actually eating rotten meat. Christians, when you're tempted to turn to that habitual sin, if you just do it again, it's going to make you feel alive. Remind yourself of this. Only Christ can satisfy your hunger for life. Turn to Christ. Trust Christ. He is sufficient. It's a privilege to be able to bring up um, our commission, our uh, members that are going to go to Boston on a mission trip for next week. So if you are going on the Boston trip, come on up. We'd love to pray over you and to honor you. Again, I think it's God's kindness to have this commissioning on a day that we just heard about feasting on the Lord.